The works of the flesh are not matters of the heart. They are matters of the body. The text that Paul wants us to focus on today as a central idea of the Christian fight, the Christian walk, is actually the biblical talk, but it is a walk that is a fight. It is a challenge. It is a suffering journey. Paul wants us to understand what kind of war God is waging inside of you for you. And in this, he wants you to see that there are certain things that a good human just doesn't do. And that since Christians know we're not good humans, but that Jesus is, since we know that his resurrection is ours, since we know that there is no accounting for our sins, tit for tat any longer, as he says, we are not under the law. We can turn a new eye to these evils, see that they indeed come from our hearts, but become the kind of people for whom they are not matters of our bodies. They are not matters of our neighbor's eyes. Nobody sees us like this. And that what they see instead is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, which I would contend to you, and I'm going to try to show this in the text today, that the fruit of the Spirit is not something you can do. The fruit of the Spirit is not a list of virtues. It's a list of things that God works in you as you turn away from these works of darkness, as you say, that's indeed evil, the result of you seeing that with the grace of God in Jesus going into you week in, week out, as your king, walking you toward the life of the world to come, it will make these things come out of you. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, not because you try to make them do so, but because you're inside the body of Jesus Christ now. And so the fruit of the Spirit will be what he produces in you like a tree planted by streams of water. I want to take us through this Galatian text today carefully, but you know, succinctly, efficiently. I don't want to ignore what's been told to us by Solomon in the Proverbs, and I can't let go this text about Jesus and the lepers. So we're going we're gonna to start there, because the text about Jesus and the lepers is one that can weigh you down if you misunderstand it. It's appointed every Thanksgiving Eve, and the way it's preached usually is, look, there were 10, they were all healed, nine were ungrateful. It's Thanksgiving, be grateful. I think that's a crappy sermon. I don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's Christianity, and I don't blame you for not wanting to come to church on Thanksgiving Eve. What I do believe, though, is that this text also says something valuable. We can zoom in on the fact that the Samaritan as an outsider, it says foreigner in the ESV, think outsider, someone who just doesn't belong, someone who comes in and like you smell funny and look weird, okay, outsider. We can zoom in on that, that the Hebrew people to whom Jesus came, those who were his own, they did not receive him, but instead rejected him and so lost Jerusalem as their city, ending the old covenant. I mean, we can go into that, but I don't want to like chase all that. All I want is you to see this. It doesn't say all nine saw they were cleansed. They said, it says one saw he was cleansed. One saw he was cleansed. And the automatic response to seeing that Jesus has healed you is praise Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The automatic response to seeing that Jesus has healed you is to say, praise Jesus. And that's what he did. Hallelujah. He came. Thank you. He came back to him to do just that. That's what I want you to take from this today. Not that you should feel guilty that you don't thank Jesus enough. But that Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your healer. Jesus is the one who breaks the chains of your sin that bind you, including your flesh. Which, as we're going to learn again, is an old man holding you down, fighting from within, but to whom you no longer have to to submit like a slave-minded fool. Because you have the Spirit of God at work in you. In these words. In these words. So that foreigner, that outsider, he's sent away in faith to walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? Let's get to Galatians. Okay. Galatians 5. Our text starts at verse 16. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open it. And let me make that announcement right now. So this whole next year of going through a different book of the Bible every week just as a survey, as an overview. Like, hey, let's look at this book. What happened there? It'll be better for you. It'll work out better if you bring your Bible with you to church. It's just going to work out better that way. You're going to have your own text. You're going to be able to put some notes in it or something. You're going to be able to get used to seeing it. And then when you go home, you're like, oh, I remember. I put a ribbon here, right? And then you can open it up and get going. So if you don't have a Bible, we have a whole bunch in the back. Just steal one. I just you're, take one, take one, write your name in it. It's a gift from Jesus. Okay. If you need a Bible, they're in the back. There's a whole pile. Um, bring your Bible next week, bring a pen, bring a little piece of paper, because we're going to do stuff like this where we, we look around the text before we look into it. So the text starts at verse 16 and I want to just start from verse seven and I'm going to read now, depending on what Bible you have, we'll be in different translations. I'm in the new King James version. I'm going to read and comment as we go. Shouldn't take us too long here, let's hope. Yeah. It says in verse 7, you ran well. What that means is the Galatian church was a Christian church. You were Christians, is what he says. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who taught you a different religion and why did you start practicing it? Yes. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. So he warns them. You're actually not just rejecting Christianity. You don't have God anymore, he says. And then this really quotable bit from Jesus, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now you put yeast in dough, it goes through the whole dough. You can't really stop it once it's in. It just does what it does. Fermentation's a thing. Now this can be good or bad. depends on where you want that leaven to be. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven's like leaven too. That means the church, as a little bit in the whole universe, is enough to leaven, to holify, to sanctify the whole universe. But this is a negative leaven. He's talking about false teaching. Have you heard this one before? <laughs> if, I, if I baked a box of brownies and, and, you, and you aren't carb-free, right, so you can eat them, um, and uh, I put like just the smallest tidbit of a little bit of doggy food, like just, just a touch. You would never know. You'll never know. But I tell you, it's in the brownies. How much you want those brownies? A little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. That's the idea here. And so he's warning this congregation. You've got more than a little leaven. You're outside the faith, guys. That's his warning. I have confidence in you in the Lord, he says, though, that you will have no other mind, but that he who troubles you shall bear the judgment, whoever he is. Now get this. While he's saying you're on the path to non-Christianity as a congregation, 
as a whole, you've walked away from God. I'm convinced that because you're still actually Christians, you're going to repent. You're going to stop listening to the liars and you're going to throw them out of your head. You're going to throw them out of your church is what he's saying to them. And I, brethren, he says, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. So the idea here is the only reason Paul found in his ministry for why anybody rejected Jesus was because of the crucifixion of Jesus, which is, again, the grace of Jesus. The you don't deserve it, but he gives it to you anyway of Jesus. That's what he calls here the offense of the cross, or in the Greek, it's skandalon. You can hear scandal in there, the scandal of the cross. Now, we can't stop and talk about that too much, but it's a great idea. Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. He goes on in verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And remember, the argument's all about circumcision. So he, he really means castration here. And he really means that the false teachers in Galatia are so not Christian that he would rather have them just diminish their own manhood than do what they're doing because it's so bad what they're doing. Uh, and be shameful to diminish your manhood, uh, he, would, he would say, he would tell you. Uh, for you, brethren, verse 13, have been called to liberty. He reminds you, the gospel's free. The life of the Christian, the fight, is not about gaining. It's not about earning. It's not about how if you don't, then God won't. You're called to freedom. You're called to a conscience that can walk around in clean integrity. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, he says. But through love, serve one another. So the Christian is free. Able to be the Lord of everything he sees. Walking through any crowd with his head held high fearlessly as an inheriting son of the kingdom of God. Women too. But the Christian is also a slave. Completely bound to see that every other person on this planet is in just as much need of mercy and comfort and a little hearing as you are. We walk together not to give the flesh, the sin, the evil within us opportunity to devour each other, but in love to serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, lest you be consumed by one another. Uh, A a quick word about neighbors. Uh, It's really easy in English to think about your neighbor as the person over the fence. And that's your neighbor. And then maybe three doors down, and then maybe in your neighborhood, that's kind of the way we think of it, and that's about it. But the word of the Bible isn't about just your plot of land. It's about the nearness of your body to another human body. So neighbor just means nearby, the nearby. So right now you have neighbors in the pew, people nearby you. When you're at the checkout place, the per- or the, you know, the grocery store, the checkout person is your nearby person. So the idea of loving your nearby person as yourself, I think, is incredibly valuable. And the idea of neighbors, well, again, we've got to recapture that word a little bit for our imaginations. But then here we come to our actual text. I'm going to grab a sip of water. Around verse 16, where Paul then says, now here's what I say, right? Here's the final, like, exhortation of the book. He says, walk by the Spirit. Now, what does that even mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? How do you get Spirit? I got Spirit. Yes, I do. I got Spirit. How about you? 
I mean, where do you go to find the Holy Spirit? Under a rock, you know, on TV, in the songs. He means the Bible. He means the Word of God. He means the Scriptures once testified for all time. Now, this doesn't mean only written. It also means spoken. Most of the Bible before it was written was spoken. So he's not saying that there's some like need to absolutely only have it in script. But the fact is we have it in script because we tend to get it wrong, change it, and then fall away. And so thanks be to Jesus, he put it in a book that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. I mean, we found that there's more copies. We found that there's so many copies we can know that it hasn't changed for thousands of years, unlike things like Homer, which we have no idea of knowing when they really tweaked it or not. It's an amazing thing, the scripture. Walk by it, he says. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by where God has surely spoken. And the result will be, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice, this is not like either or. Here, walk by the Spirit and don't walk by the flesh. It's walk by the Spirit and you won't walk by the flesh. Put yourself into the stories which God has given to inspire you to be a good Christian, and you will be. Watch a bunch of other stories, fill your mind with all sorts of other nonsense, and you're going to be whatever it tells you to be. Humans are reflectors. We echo what we hear. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He sets up the counterparts here of spirit and flesh. I want you again to hear spirit as scripture. I want you to hear flesh as your heart. I want you to hear spirit as the Holy Spirit of the living God, who is in fact inside you in spite of your heart, who has taken your heart of stone and written forgiveness of sins in the blood of Jesus on that heart of stone. So I want you to hear that the spirit that you're going to walk by is the scripture and the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, inside you, working together. You're reading the scripture because he's inside of you. You're speaking the scripture because he's inside of you. You're believing the scripture because he's inside of you. Nobody does this without the Holy Spirit. The flesh, again, is your heart as inherited from your father and your mother, but mostly your father with your mother's spice on the top. You inherit your sinful condition from your father, your heart. But also, your flesh is then the experience of your body, right? So it is you, body and soul, as you feel everything that you wish you didn't feel. Every time you wish you didn't, that's probably your flesh at work because it's just kind of a whiny little body that doesn't like what's going on. And it has to say so to you inside. Most people in America have no way of keeping that inside. That's why they're always so offended is they let out their flesh and then people don't like it and then they fight. And this is what Paul's going to say. We can't be like that without tearing our houses down. We can't be like that without forgetting our first love of grace and mercy. So he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify those evils. And that, hear this then. So with everything I just said, the Spirit is Scripture and the Holy Spirit. The flesh is your heart and your body and your mind working against you. Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you do, or things that you wish, excuse me. So, simply put, your flesh, your sinful condition, the you that is your heart born here, and you still experience every day, hates God so much. Hates the Holy Spirit so much. That when your friends who are Christians and your pastors say, go read a psalm, you go, ugh. Ugh. 
And the Spirit of God hates that part of you so much, he's going to make you feel guilty about it. He's going to make you know, you know, I don't like being like that. And he's going to do that, not so much that you're going to be able to live the greatest life you could ever imagine. The point about how the Spirit's against the flesh to keep you from doing the things you wish means that God puts his Holy Spirit in you by his word to stop you from doing all the things you wish you could do. Otherwise, you go destroy yourself because you're against God in your heart naturally. But again, he puts the spirit in you to stop you from that by first guilt, by first a little bit of shame. Yeah, by first then repentance. And then by knowledge that all that guilt that I carry is over there already. And every time I feel that suffering and that pain, it's over there already in Jesus' body. Every time that I acknowledge my suffering, my flesh is here. I know Jesus already took care of it. And so whatever it's saying to me doesn't have to be said to everybody else. And that's the fruit of the Spirit called self-control at the end of the lesson here. He reminds us before we get into it that if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is him saying then this isn't something you're going to earn. You're already here. You're born again by Jesus. Yeah. So here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to see that the works of the flesh are evident. What does that mean? They're obvious. It's, it's said often in the church, you can't judge a man's heart, right? Agreed. Except for when he talks. Then you can judge his mouth. And then when he acts, you can tell if he does what he says or if he's just a liar and a hypocrite. So you can judge actions and words. You're right. I can't judge your feelings. I got horrible ones myself. Let's talk about it sometime. But, but Christianity and our life together as we wait for Jesus' return It's not about our feelings. It is about comforting ourselves in our sinful condition, to be sure. But it is ultimately, again, about walking together in a better way than the rest of the world. And you can see it. You can see it with this list. Now, I'm not going to give the list the attention I want to. What I will say is that you know from Paul saying that you can see it, that every single one of these things is obvious. It's an obvious thing. So wherever the translation is not obvious, Say, sensuality. What's the evil of sensuality? I can explain it, but it's not obvious, right? It's not like porneia, which is the first one. And translated sexual immorality. Porneia. I mean, we know what it is without me having to translate it, right? But sensuality, what's that? The point of the list is all of these are things you can see. And most of them are pretty specific Greek terms. So, for example, dissensions and divisions uh, in the ESV there, these are like political terms. They're like, don't create political factions, and then don't do secret backroom dealings. So the list is really very specific. I'm going to try to go through it now without looking at the English that you have, though, because that'll make us slower, and we're, we're running out of time. So here's the list, okay? Pornea needs no explanation. Akatharissa, uncleanness. What it means is to be ritually unclean. It means you've done something so awful that the community doesn't even want to look at you anymore. What does that mean in America, in a culture without shame? Not much, I think. But in honor cultures, where you actually have shame, this one matters a lot. Uh, Aselgeia, lewdness or sensuality. This is a fascinating one. This is about the impotence of your body to do something when you want to do it. Think of a runner who can't complete the race and falls. That's what this is. Sensuality doesn't capture that at all. Impotence. 
captures it quite a bit more. But it's, he's getting at now lifelong impotence, a, a weak will, the inability to stand up, always having everyone else move you. That's the work of the flesh. Idolatria, one that all translations translate as idolatry, and yet I would challenge you to show me what idolatry is. We can all talk about it. Show me it. Uh, it's a hard one to describe. Uh, what I will say it is when you, in your body, find yourself bowing down to creation objects in order to gain spiritual value from it. We'll leave it at that for now. It's, it's a tough one, idolatry. Um, it's all over. It's all over. The next one's very hard to like translate because it sounds worse than it is. The word's pharmakeia. You can hear pharmaceutical out of that, but it doesn't mean pharmaceutical. It means to make potions, to do magic spells, to work with secret dark arts. Now, why does our pharmaceutical industry call themselves that? That's a, that's a curious tidbit of history. The point here is Christians aren't supposed to go see a voodoo witch doctor for a love potion. Don't do that. Now, you might not think that that's what's going on these days in the medical industry. I don't know. This is the question. I've had to ask that more and more. I don't trust everybody who talks to me about this stuff anymore. And I'll, do I think it's all lies and potions? No, no. But I do see Paul warning us against potions, against taking things that are magically going to make us all live forever. That, that's, that's a bad idea to even try to do. Huh? Pharmakeia. Ekthrai. Ekthrai is an inner hostile spirit. This is when, like, you're just cantankerous. How are you doing? Eh. Can I have your help? Mm -mm. No. And, you know, most of us are like this when we first wake up. Yeah, that, that's the way it is. But to walk around as an inner hostile spirit, what do you do? What do we do if we find in our midst someone who has an inner hostile spirit? Everyone they talk to, they're grumpy to, and we all figure it out together. Well, the answer is you surround them and you comfort them and you try to tell them that you love them because they obviously need that care. Yeah. But again, you don't let that behavior be okay either. And that's, again, what you, you can't walk like this as a people. It can't be okay to just grumble at each other. That's not allowed. Huh? Ekthrai. Keep going here. Eris is a bickering spirit. This is just like a quick tongue. Always ready to interject. This is me. I got this all over my body. This is just awful. I interrupt all the time. Yeah. Uh, quick tongue. Next one is zeal, jealousy. What that means is your will is heavy. It's not your tongue that's so fast. It's your will. You just always want your way. Always want your way. Thumoi. Violet airs, this is, you're, you're quick to fight. You know, the guy, who's just, he's just ready to go every time. Oh, let's, let's do it. You know, wants to compare himself to everybody all the time. Uh, getting to what, rivalries. I talked about this one already. Um, no, I didn't. I talked about dissensions and heresies. Those are backroom thinking and individualistic political thinking. The other one I really want to zoom in on here is the one that in, in the English in front of you is rivalries. Also in the NKJV, selfish ambitions, erythei. This is a fascinating one. It literally means to have the mind of a slave. To have the mind of a slave. And what that means is that uh, you're a day laborer in heart. And what that means is you never think about anything except for food and tomorrow and your flesh. You're just kind of base and selfish and don't care about anybody except yourself. Because what else you got? Now, this is not to advocate slavery in any way, right? What it is is to say that you can be a slave without being a slave. And it's by being slave-minded. 
by being slave-minded. It's by being one who thinks the best you can get out of this life is to work for hire. That's the best you can get out of this life is to work for hire. Wake up, America. Slave-mindedness is eating us alive. All right. Fulnoy is murderers. Methi is drunkards. And Komoi is Dionistic revelers, or as the English you have says, orgies. If you don't know what an orgy is, ask your parents. Um, it's bad. It's often combined with drunken, drunkenness. And of course, we know murder is evil. But if you think about things like carnival and Mardi Gras, these great pagan celebrations that take place right before Lent for all the people who don't really want Lent to come to have as much evil as they can before they repent of it, this is kind of the idea of what you're not supposed to do. Okay, that, that's kind of summing all that up. I warn you. Now, let's not miss this last part here about, about the warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me make this very clear. With this entire list, I'll use porn as the example. If you go to a church where it's okay for the men to use pornography, and everybody does it, and nobody cares, and you just let it go, then you're all going to end up with kids that aren't Christians at the very least, and you might not go to heaven yourself. And you can take every single thing on this list. And Paul says, if you let your church act like this, you're not going to be a church. But if you can see that they're evil, if you can see that when it arises in you, it's better to push it down. Well, then the fruit of your spirit in Jesus Christ is love already. You would rather not live like that, right? That's love already. Joy, this is comfort. This is, this is God saying it's better in him. Peace, that's a real thing then, rather than a dissension and a rivalry where we're bickering over our disagreements about the world out there. We find camaraderie and certainty in the body and blood of the man who will never die again. Kindness, that's an interesting one. It means uprightness in the Greek. It means to be symmetrical and well-made so that whenever anyone would walk away from you, they'd be glad they did. Not because of how you look, but because how you look. Because you're just kind. Goodness, faithfulness, that's to believe. Gentleness, this is to be aware of others' needs. And then self-control, the one I think we need a heaping helpful of these days. And I would like you to exercise it first and get in your Bible for next week and be ready to look at the Psalms here together in church in uh, just over 25 minutes, knowing that you are those who belong to Jesus Christ and therefore you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They wage war within you, but not in order to overcome you. They wage war within you in order that you shall overcome them, because that is what it means for a tree by streams of water to blossom in Jesus' name. Amen.